my identity wasn't a fixed thing it was an evolving thing join me as i have honest vulnerable and sometimes difficult conversations with friends family and even strangers about the things that matter to them most i'm your host siddharth anantram and you're listening to let's talk real conversations with real people about the things that really matter who am i what is my identity these are probably the most life defining questions we can ask ourselves if like me you've looked to google for answers and been absolutely horrified trust me i hear you and i feel you discovering our identity is such a beautifully complex process that some of us spend our entire lifetime trying to find the answer and for others even one lifetime is not enough More often than not we end up making the mistake of attaching our identity to things outside of us like our jobs the titles we hold the beliefs we share or even the relationships we are a part of and when we quit that job or lose that fancy title or outgrow that relationship we end up losing a part of our identity and then there are times in our life when everything we believe to be true about ourselves comes under question when we're bullied when our sexuality is questioned when we're accused of something we didn't do how do you really find yourself during these times where do you look for your own unique identity and how do you stay true to yourself these are some of the questions we will be exploring in this next conversation with deepak ramola someone who went from being heavily bullied for his voice when he was 15 to discovering the parts of his identity that nobody could question a journey that has led him to becoming the kindness ambassador to the united nations and dedicate his life to spreading human wisdom as the founder of project fuel he's a teacher a poet a lyricist and actor but most importantly for me he's been a truly truly amazing friend i'm so excited for this conversation with him welcome everyone to this episode of let's talk the person i have with me today is someone i am so excited to speak to and to bring to all of you because this this is this person has been someone who's been my friend my my cheerleader my my guide my biggest coach i've learned so much from him over the course of uh the last 10 years since i've known him and our friendship has taken so many different paths over the course of these last 10 years but the one thing i have most admired about this man this young man is his ability to stay curious about his own identity and to rediscover his identity and to shape his identity in different ways over the course of these years and to stay really true to himself so i'm very very excited to bring to you the one and only deepak ramola deepak thank you so much for your time i know in today's time time is a, is a very valuable commodity and i'm very very grateful to have you here with me on this show my man Thank you so much for inviting me. I am so excited for every new chapter that you uncover and I'm glad to be part of this one too. Awesome. So, uh, first of all, for all of you who see who are seeing the video, let's please, you know, hit up Deepak on Instagram and tell him how amazing he's looking. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, for those of you listening to audio, please go check out Deepak's uh, Instagram profile. You will see you will know what I'm talking about. Let's get right into this conversation. So Deepak everyone who knows you on social media and who has met you in person knows the Deepak who is 
the kindness ambassador to the United Nations, who's the founder of Project Fuel, which has collected almost a million plus life lessons from around the world. They know you as a poet, as a lyricist. What I want to do today through this conversation is to actually speak to you about something that I have had an opportunity to speak to you or, you know, know a little bit more about and that I want to, you know, bring more to this, to, to the world, which is a conversation around everyone knows you as this person who is really successful, who is really accomplished. But very few know that when you started off in your childhood, you were someone who was massively bullied, who was really teased and who was really oppressed for your voice. And we've always been told that our childhood shapes who we are. What was your childhood like and how did you being bullied shape you into the person that you are today? Mm. Well, I mean, it's very interesting because you use the word successful and it's easier for the world to now look at, I mean, you know, the, the resume, so to say, and say, oh, he's successful. But I actually felt successful back in school as well. I remember going to an English coaching institute in the summer holidays. I didn't want to enroll. My sister wanted to, you know, polish up her English. And so she applied for this coaching institute and they were going to interview her and she requested me to come along. And I remember as soon as she finished her round, I went into, you know, the cabin of the guy and I sat across him and he asked me the question, are you successful? I was 15 years old in class 10th and I thought for a moment and replied, yes. And to this day, you know, that is one of the most defining moments of my life, being in that English coaching institute and saying I'm successful because it took a long time to formulate what success even meant. This is parallel to a scenario which you just touched upon is I was being bullied. I had no friends till class 11th in school and I was constantly being perceived as the outcast of the class. For in all those scenarios for a 15, you know, 16-year-old boy to still say he's successful is a is a very conflicted scenario. To answer your question with the two incidents in light, I think what really made me aware about my belief system was that my identity wasn't a fixed thing. It was an evolving thing. And that's what most people forget. They think that this identity, the definition of who you are is a constant one, is one something that either you are given half, I mean, you know, uh, the people I know believe that. And then the other half thinks they're going to stumble upon it one day. It's like, you know, reaching the gold box at the end of the rainbow. Doesn't happen. Both the scenarios are acutely false because identity is a construction of many different perceptions laced upon oneself by other people, circumstances, society, and by our own choices. So I very early on accepted and understood that my identity wasn't a one definition term. It was going to be a very dynamic thing. So if you ask me who I was or what my identity was in class 9th or 10th, it would be very different from what it was today. Of course, it has parts of it, but it's much more than that and maybe much smaller than that in many scenarios. So 
as a young child, when you have no friends and you're being bullied for my voice, which was the main reason for my bullying, I sounded like a girl or a kid to many people in my classroom. And uh, they didn't want to be seen with somebody who was always different or you know, who was always two decimals or octaves higher than their pitches. Um, I think in their comments, I did not subscribe to their mentality or their view of me. And so when I was fighting what they were saying and not accepting it, I realized I must be much more than that. I must be much more than just a guy with a non-baritonish voice, with a petite voice. I'm much more than that. I'm someone who's curious. I'm someone who's, you know, excited to learn. I'm someone who's creative, but they don't see it. And just because they don't see it, they don't say it. But what they say is not my entire truth. Accepting that, breaking down the bullying into that aspect, I think was my discovery of the fact that my identity was not one thing and that it was going to evolve with time and evolve with how people perceived me. All of us talk about identity, you know, so often. And I think you touched briefly, but if I had to ask you, what does identity really mean to you? Mm. What would you say? Well, I, I think I'm going to take help of John uh, Blodesery, I think his name is pronounced as, who said, I go back and forth between wanting to be abundantly simple and maddlingly complex. I think that's what identity for me is. It is too much and too little. Identity is the dance of wanting to be too much and wanting to be too little. The only power one has in defining an identity, when you understand, you get to dance, but you also hold the power to direct the choreography. And you cannot allow others to do that. Most of us allow others to dictate the choreography of the dance we are going to dance. And so our identities become these complex mesh rather than beautiful puzzle pieces we took our time to put together. It becomes literally a spider web, beautiful still, but not really our own to call. We just get entangled in a web someone else built for us. So I would say that uh, that's really my definition of it. And so beautifully put, Deepak. I think especially in today's time, like you're saying, right, our identities, so much of it is defined by what others say or speak of us. Um, mm -hmm. And even more so that when so much of what other people say defines our identity, when our identity is under question, it affects us way more mm -hmm. because it's not shaped by the puzzle pieces that we've put together for ourselves, mm -hmm. like you are saying. Yes. How do you find yourself when your identity is questioned? And how do you find strength? And how do you find courage? And where do you look when your identity is questioned? I mean, I think in many places, because uh, I, an identity is the sum up of so many things that one has to look into many different caves to find it when it's questioned. You know, you cannot stand in a plain field and look at a horizon. You have to be able to go through tunnels and caves and be able to come out of something and go into something to be able to say, that felt like a part of me, but is it still relevant and true? I think one of the biggest things that I have struggled with or came a long way in kind of embracing myself is that you have to be able to also let go what doesn't serve as part of your identity anymore. Mm. Because we are so familiar and complacent with what we once knew to be us or ourselves, 
we just hold on it's extra baggage you're good you have to pay for it you know it's literally that if you are going to fly in life and you're taking all that extra baggage that you did not need uh, you have to pay for it and the pain comes in terms of lower self esteem it comes in self doubt it comes in you know being a little more self biased self bullying all of those things so when i find myself completely you know complex about my identity i first try to remind myself there is some part of it which is default which the africans say your crown has been paid for that's why every time i say my name i try to say it fully deepak ramola i just don't say i'm deepak when i'm introducing myself on stage or in person to somebody what that does for me just that simple act of saying your full name is that it reminds you that your crown has already been paid for your surname is your legacy in many ways that survived that one so if i have to simplify it in saying i would say imagine your father imagine his father and then his father and then his father and i can go on and on but imagine that person in my lineage somewhere said you know life is hard but i'm going to still make it worth living and i'm going to survive he survived and thrived enough for his son to be born who was going to be my great grandfather my great grandfather had to survive and fight everything for my grandfather to be born my grandfather had to live through the entire world war he served the second world war had to live through that survive enough to have a son my father despite life's challenges had to survive enough to have me so i already sit at a place where my crown has been paid for so now the surname ramola is already successful it's already won it's already there i have all the data and the facts to prove it with every single breath the name deepak is what i am building it is what my craft is so when i say the kindness ambassador of unesco mgip yes that's me that's deepak all thanks to the ramolas that came before me so when you look at identity as these canvas pieces one that's already been painted to help you assist and reference out as a material for what you're going to craft i think it becomes easier when your first your deepak identity is questioned because ramola nobody has the authority and the power to question you know it came and it succeeded <laughs> so yeah wow so you know you gave me such a different perspective of looking at identity itself because i think the two things i'm drawing from that specific thing that you said is is that many people i think today actually use their surname mm. you know and and as much as that's an important part of the identity they they forget that generations had to live and do well for them to be who they are today yes. uh and even get their first name right and as you say that i'm realizing that holy shit i don't even you know most of the times i introduce myself i introduce myself as sid not even siddharth which mm. is not even my full first name mm. forget scott siddharth anantram i just say sid and in a world where everything is becoming shorter from attention spans to names in this case i feel that a reminder of your surname being an integral part of your identity is something i'm drawing from that conversation but also the second thing i'm drawing from the conversation is that there are aspects of your identity that have been built over time even before you were born Mm. and no one can take that away from you mm. you know and just realizing when you said that whatever is questioned when it comes to your identity there's that part of you that 
no one can take away from you. And I think in one of the conversations I've had with you, one of the things you've told me so beautifully, which I you know want to bring back in this conversation is every time you know you've either felt a sense of self-doubt or but any part of you is questioned, you you find this beautiful sacred space within you. Mm. You know no one can take away. Yes. Can you share a little bit more about what finding that space means and how does one find it and how does that help you find strength in terms of times when everything is under question Mm. about you? I think for me, yes, that sacred space that I talk about, it has been the cornerstone, has been the, the mecca within, you know, in many ways. And I think how one goes about constructing it is defining what one's boundaries are. What is a space within you that nobody has the right to violate? Nobody has the right to infiltrate. Nobody has the right to make you feel smaller than. Uh, You can set simple rules. I don't allow people to abuse me. That's the first condition. If somebody abuses me, I I distance. If if that person is too valuable for me, if it's, you know, um, if, if it's a person that I deeply value my relationship with, I'll tell them, you know, I'm very uncomfortable with someone Uh, using pejoratives and explicitives in my context and hopefully they'll understand if they don't do they can really go take a hike through a cactus i i couldn't Uh care less because every time someone does that to me i feel lesser than and um i think setting smaller rules like that having a space to gratitude within you having a recollection of really where you came from and feeling thankful for that are things that build that pristine space within you of course, it's metaphoric, but it can be very tangible as well. If you picture it in your head, if you really picture a small, clean space within yourself, you can almost place what is in that space, whose faces, what words. I put some of my most favorite compliments in that space. For example, somebody once told me, I remember I was very young working in a production house and I was juggling from one job to another. I remember I had to finished like some 10 scripts for a TV show and rushed to a movie recording where I was writing a song and I was just overworked. And the producer who was on floor that day said to me, if I ever have a son, I would like for that son to be like you. That compliment is in that sacred space. So it's like building a nest. If I have to give it a visual reference, like how birds build a nest, take every little encouragement, take every piece of compliment, take every belief system, every philosophy, every good quote, every beautiful song lyric and weave it into a nest. And what lies within the rest is you on days when that space is attacked or violated from the outer world. You go inside that and and you hopefully find a, a comforting healing power that Nobody else probably can access within you, but you can because you built it in the first place. So it's the secret hiding spot of the soul. <laughs> I think you have given it such a beautiful name. And the first time I heard it, I've, I've never forgotten it ever since. I think you called it first aid kit for your soul. Yes. <laughs> Basically has, the first aid kit essentially has all your favorite songs, all your favorite compliments, true. your your biggest boundaries that you do not want violated and a sense or true sense of everything that is you and that you can define yourself with, that you can basically go and take solace in when you're having a bad day. So for those of you listening, 
I would highly recommend you to build a first aid kit for your soul. Taking Deepak's advice the first time I heard it, I actually built one for myself. And it has probably been the single best use of my time. And I think it also has so many fun elements, right, Deepak? Like, for example, I remember also for the first time creating a music playlist for myself. Mm. Because otherwise, you're running so quickly every day that you don't even have time to create a music playlist that of songs with your favorite songs that you can go back to when you're having a bad day. And and ever since I heard you, you I basically created that playlist playlist and and every time I, I feel like my energy is going down or you know something about me is feeling wrong I basically just go hit, play that playlist and I'm my energy is back it's also because you're spending time with things you love and the things you discovered you love when you were most happy that's the difference when you're sad and down in the hole and amidst the darkness and all the self-doubt of the world it's very difficult to convince yourself there is a silver lining anywhere but if you have a first aid kit ready in hand or for your soul, you already know you're not going to question what you know you put there because you, when you were most happy, you found encouragement in it. And so in the moments of most despair, when you go back to things you know bring you happiness and love, you're amplifying their abundance. If I have to put it differently, I would say it's like, or actually, actually as an activity, even before the first aid kit for the soul, I would say for your listeners and viewers is, Write an instruction manual for yourself. If you were literally a person who came with an instruction guide, what would that one page be like? Very much like how we use products. The only key is don't give that instruction guide to other people. Keep it handy <laughs> and revisit it when you need it the most so that you can you know, figure out and, and, and kind of redefine things for yourself. Beautiful. Deepak, I want to ask you that, you know, when you were bullied... Hmm. Right. And I'm going back here because when you were bullied, you had the choice of basically looking at the world with a particular lens. Hmm. And that lens has totally been people are horrible hmm. or people are bad. Right. But you chose to have a belief that requires, that made you look at the world from a belief saying that people actually are kind, people are actually amazing. Hmm. And you've dedicated your life's work towards finding the gifts in people knowing out their biggest lessons and, and sharing that to the world. Mm. How does one find a belief, even though what they're seeing outside might be opposing or contrary to that? And how did you find it for yourself? <laughs> okay. I uh, discovered very, I mean, I would say later, not so early. I, when I was initially bullied in school, like any teenage child, I was so heartbroken and I was so you know, despondent with everything that it was excruciating. I don't wish that upon anybody, anybody who's listening and watching to be bullied is the worst thing on planet Earth. So I don't want to, you know, start by saying, oh, you know, I was kind. No, I wanted to slap every single one of them. Just that I was not the kind, you know, I, I was not really the most physically active child. I wasn't the most puffed up kid. I wasn't the badass everybody who fought the bullies was. I... I was more in shock every time somebody said something to me and very dejected. It took me a while to figure out that hate on its highest boiling point converts to two things, either violence or forgiveness. And it is literally on the highest boiling point. You get to decide what you will convert it into. When it was reaching the boiling point, I had the most amazing luxury of having an English teacher who one day saw me crying after a bullying episode and said to me, took me out of the class and said, 
so what's the matter and i said well nobody seems to like my voice they bully me for it all the time i think i have an hormonal issue and she laughed and she said you have no hormonal issue first of all what is that logic i was like but it's it, it seems scientific to put everything you know i was feeling onto a terminology of hormonal imbalance and whatever and she said it's not that it's just it's your voice and then she asked me do you like your voice and i said i don't know she said if you woke up tomorrow and you could not speak would you be okay with that i said of course not i want to be heard so she said you like your voice that's a deal now that you like your voice you have to own it so you own your voice you own your story and no one can make you feel bad about it just those three words own your voice or own your story completely mm. revolutionized the way i approached because she said to me no one can make you feel bad about what you already are aware and accepting of so after that moment i remember very distinctively just 2 hours after that i was walking in the corridor and someone called me oh you sound like a girl or maybe worse i i, I think i'm i'm making it toned down but in my subconscious memory it remains somebody passed a comment and i turned to them and instead of feeling offended or hateful i said i already know that when you have new facts about me do approach me i'm trying to look for them and i turned around and i think for the first time i didn't feel the need to turn back and see their face and reaction and that sort of liberation was magical because i felt now when people tell me i sound like a girl i do and it's wonderful and it's okay and i think telling myself that repeatedly over the years made me so amazing that now i mean you know this i make jokes about my voice all the time mm-hmm. i play pranks with it uh, i mean it's much more baritoneish now i think but still to to this day when somebody i ring up someone and they say oh is that uh, you know deepa or dipika on the other side of the phone i sometimes play along i mean who cares as long as you have a voice and you know you, you own your story so it's very very crucial i think for any individual to formulate that it is going to take you a while it's going to take you time to make peace with it and give yourself that time just make sure it doesn't last a lifetime you don't want to be on your deathbed and say okay you know now the world is okay when people make you feel or lesser than about you about something related to you you can choose to evaluate it if you hear it and you say you know what that's actually wrong about me like someone's com- compliments or comments about your handwriting and say that's a horrible handwriting and you agree with it do something to change it practice you know in workbooks worksheets watch handwriting videos become a calligraphy artist whatever but someone says you know i don't like the way you walk ask yourselves do i like the way i walk and if you do mm. nobody from next day can make you feel bad about it because you just accepted what was presented to you as a fact you made it a truth by accepting it and truths are always more liberating than facts i believe so uh, someone's you know perceptive fact could not be more uh, limiting and you're so right deepak because i think very often in the noise of what other people are telling us we forget to ask ourselves if that what we consider a fact or opinion from someone else is actually whether we consider it to be true ourselves mm. i don't even think we take that pause to ask ourselves exactly the question you said is it do i think it's is it, do i think it's true mm. and how do i really feel about it because we're so lost in how everyone else is feeling about it uh, that we forget to ask ourselves the same thing my curiosity now draws towards 
something that you've mentioned so many times and I keep going back to it and I think it's very, very linked to this conversation again, which is that, you know, I, in, the, in the process of collecting life lessons, I know one of the people whose life lesson you were most looking forward to was Oprah Winfrey's life lesson. Mm. And I knew her life lesson was, was on, the, on the note that everyone is seeking validation in the world, mm. right? And what is something that you are seeking validation for? Mm. And how do you validate yourself when no one else gives you the validation? Mm, that's that's a wonderful one. Wow, what a powerful question. What am I seeking validation for? I think just the balancing act, I would say. You know, in the world we live in, I have 14 jobs. I have a wonderful family. I have a thriving relationship with my friends. I have, uh, you know, a, a wonderful sibling that I love. I have a career that is satisfactory. I have a personal life that is almost revelatory with, you know, things that, that amaze me. I think the balancing act, I always want to know if I'm doing all right for people, whether that's in the workspace or whether that's at home. I want to just ensure I'm there for them because, you know, to be honest, the world we live in, the way it expects from us, I think, on a regular basis, it becomes very complex to understand. If you have, you know, 10,000 likes on a photo, you think you are the best person, but you might not even have a conversation with a friend of yours who you should check in with. So I think I, I seek validation from people and I actually call them up and say, you know, do you still love me? <laughs> Am I giving you enough time? Or uh, I just wanted to tell you that you mean so much to me. And I hope you know how much I love you. I mean, I remember I have sent those texts to you. I've sent those texts to people who matter. Do you know how much I love you? Just that. Making sure in the rigmarole of the world, people who mean something to you don't forget or don't live in the oblivion of what they mean to you. I think the biggest tragedy of the world for me is when people live in the ignorance of what they mean to someone else. It's the biggest tragedy. When you're just constantly second-guessing yourself, am I important to this person? Did I just make someone feel that way? And the easiest solution to that dilemma is to ask, you know, am I doing enough? Am I doing okay? Could I do any better? Can I help you? Am I making you feel loved enough? That's the only way. And the person says, yes, you're doing enough or you're not doing enough. Then you can find a solution. But this gray area of, what you mean to people and what people mean to you is, oh my God, it's a, it's a quicksand. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, again, this reinforces something I learned from you, which is that seeking validation is, is a human thing. Yes. You know, and anyone or everyone who tells us that, you know, don't seek validation. I feel it's almost them telling us don't be human. But at the same time, knowing how you can find ways to validate yourself and, uh, Give people the validation they need mm. because you know it's something that they really, every human needs is I think such an important thing in, in, in today's world because yeah. uh, if only people got what they deserved, I think less people would, I mean, the journey of them trying to seek it actively or doing things, you know, to draw attention would be so much lesser. And also because people who say don't seek validation want you to start believing that it exists. And I know in certain categories of life, it's just important to just believe and trust. But when it comes to validation, you better go and find it out and actualize it. It's like knowing there is oxygen in the, uh, in the air, but you have to breathe to be able to feel it and fulfill you. 
just knowing there is oxygen in the air don't breathe for 5 minutes i want to see people who give that advice of not seeking validation try to know that there is oxygen in the air but you don't breathe it because i mean you don't need it so it's a very human thing it's a very very biological thing to be able to use validation in some respect as oxygen not the whole of it but at some part of it and again accepting that liberates you because when you say you need validation for certain things in life you will not feel bad about asking for it and you will not live in the lack of it or the scarcity of it as soon as you feel you're gasping for it you'll go ask somebody for it because you know you need it you know it's like it's like a pill it's like a medicine and it's absolutely fine i think to to know um, the tragedy would be you wanting to know but you can't ask anyone and nobody tells you absolutely absolutely so another question i ha- had for you deepak is something that's been on my mind which is this question of how do you really balance your online identity with your offline identity because you know we live in this world where it's so easy to create this online identity of yourself where you can use filters you can edit and edit things out and you can uh, create this persona that this image of, of of yourself online but the question is should it be balanced with who you are offline can it be different because often one of the things i am observing is that you know when people who follow you online end up meeting you offline whether it's close friends whether it's family whether it's even people who you know to a certain degree when they see you online and then when they meet you offline they expect you to be exactly the same whereas i'm wondering if it's okay to be different online and offline because i know it's a, it's a, also a question that's in the mind of a lot of different people right and they carry this baggage of being the same person offline as they are online so i would love to know how you manage this balancing act and what's your perspective around this i i actually believe to the contrary i mean i know it's a loosely used term influencer and you know i don't like you know someone calling me an influencer but just for a lack of a better replacement word uh, as an influencer i would actually say no your online identity and your offline identity doesn't have to be the same in my scenario my online identity is just a part of me it's not the whole of me i post mostly happy things i post optimistic things and a lot of people often write to me saying it's always sunshine on your profile yes it is because i chose to put that out there it's not the whole of me i have pains i have problems i have low days i have you know bad feelings i have mood swings but you have to meet me in person and earn it enough to see them why should i offer it for a like or a comment online you know i am willing to offer that if you were to invest equal amount of time in my life and take a lifetime subscription of my problems like most of my friends and get the bonus of seeing me cry also you know but for what you are willing to do online which is to like comment share or subscribe or throw uh, an opinion you get to have my best self i have never claimed it online that that is all of me and i hope not that is a part of me and a part i actively choose to share because i feel internet is anyways clouded with problems when i go to my profile on my bad days i want to cheer myself up so if you really see my profile my captions my pictures 
they they create a happy space not for the world i mean i know a lot of people derive inspiration and motivation from it and i think it works because it it that is exactly what it does for me i inspire myself through my profile i visit my profile and i'm like oh you're already having a great life you're traveling the world you you just had conversation with this guy who gave you the best advice why don't you follow it for yourself so allowing my online i would say instagram for that matter particularly space to be my therapist i actually say sometimes my instagram is my therapist i don't need to see a shrink anymore or at all in life is because i crafted that space to serve me and that's what i want to share with most influencers around the world and most people because everybody is an influencer in some respect today or a content creator allow yourself to use digital media not be used by it and when i put a post out i know in my head i am going to use it for my favor someday hopefully so yeah if people want to see me cry most welcome come to dehradun Uh, you know <laughs> see me on a normal active day and spend time with me if i consider you have earned it i'll i'll let my guards down i'll have some moments with you in the process as well those delicious moments <laughs> yeah. are available next absolutely uh, deepak what is something that is exciting you a lot and at the same time also scaring you a lot at this point of time we just launched a fuel 1 million campaign uh, literally like last night um fuel 1 million campaign f- for those who don't know uh, at project fuel we collect life lessons for the last 11 years and this year for 2020 we have a goal to collect 1 million life lessons from people around the world and i am so excited with just the idea of that ambition i mean 1 million life lessons uh you know it, it's not much i mean the population is 7 billion you know plus 7.534 billion or something so i'm not even asking for like 1 quarter of it i'm just asking like what dot of that percentage so i'm very excited if we are able to meet that goal which i'm very hopeful about i hope that happens uh but i'm also scared because 1 million seems a lot when you see it i mean i mean trying to picture 1 million people in front of you you can almost <laughs> fill a stadium or maybe 3 4 football fields so just the just the visualization of that campaign goal is what's exciting and nerve-wracking at the same time. Beautiful, Deepak. I, I think this has probably been one of the visions for Project Fuel. I know I've been part of your Project Fuel journey for the last 10 years and just hearing this from you inspired me and excited me so much. How does someone who wants to contribute towards this mission of collecting 1 million life lessons from around the world, how does someone do that? Is there, is there a specific way or form or page that they can visit to do that just for that? whoever was listening can actually actively go out there and add to that uh, to that yeah. yes absolutely so the the i would say url is very simple it's projectfuel.in/1million uh, one numeric million and i think if they go to any project fuel uh, instagram twitter or facebook page or the website they can just uh, go and log in and submit their life lesson so it's very simple just projectfuel/1million beautiful and to everyone listening I'll have that link in the description to this podcast but do do contribute to this vision because you never know how your life lesson the thing that you've gained wisdom from all your life could help someone else in some other part of the world and i think project fuel as an organization has done that so beautifully over the course of the last 10 years they basically take 
design activities, workshops, and sessions in classrooms and has taught people for all the way from five years old to about 95 years old, if I'm not mistaken, yes. through life lessons. And, and so know that by you contributing and giving your life lesson, you're actually helping someone, a stranger in some other part of the world that you may never know but gets impacted through what you've learned through in life. My final question for you, Deepak, before I play a little surprise game that I play with every single guest who comes on this podcast, uh, is what would be a message you would like to give a child or a teenager who's listening to this podcast and who's actively getting bullied about his or her own identity somewhere around the world today? Mm. I think I have two messages. One for those who are bullying because they need to be addressed as much as the ones bullied. So I would first go with the ones bullying in any form. Uh, I think there's a beautiful quote I read of this philosopher, teacher, uh, mystic called Ramdas. And he said, when we go out in the forest, we look at trees and we accept them as they are. We look at a tree that's short. We look at a tree that's thorny. We look at a tree that's crooked. We look at a tree and no tree looks alike. Every tree looks different. But we come out of the forest not saying there's a problem with this tree. We just allow it to be that tree because we accept that's how trees are supposed to be. But when we come to people, when we come to the forest of people, we look at people and say, this one's too fat, too thin. This one's too tall, too short. This one's too arrogant, too mean. This one's too, uh, you know, less confident, high ego. This one's too uh, dark, too fair. And all those descriptions, this one's too Hindu, too Muslim, this one's too Hispanic, you know, too, too Jewish. If we allow ourselves to see and behave with people the way we behave with nature and trees, I think we would come to a point of acceptance where that same forest provides us a very, very soulful experience instead of a judgmental one. So that's my message to the bullies. Look at people as these unique trees that were meant to grow the way they were. Also because some got less light than you. Some got less manure than you. Some got uh, lesser sky and you know lesser space than you. But they grew despite the odds. So have humility and have awe for that. Those bullied or in the process of being bullied, I would say to you, it's never going to last forever if you choose to. It's going to be a period of your life. And you can really choose to make the duration of the period in your hand by what I said earlier in the episode, evaluating with what someone is bullying you for is in your control or not. Do you subscribe to it or not. Just yesterday, I was having a conversation with somebody who said, I am a Muslim and someone's bullying me for being a Muslim. I said, do you want to change anything about that? And he's like, no, I can't. That's That fact just became a truth that he doesn't want to negotiate with it. So it's only going to last as long as you have the conservative mentality of certain people who want to narrow down it to a religion or to a gender or to a particular identity. And I would also say what my English teacher said to me, own your story, bring with you in a room whenever you enter the encouragement of people who supported you, who support you, who cheer for you, who are your soul keepers, bring their energy with you and you would already have a safe cushion that most people will find hard to infiltrate. And if you can rise above that, Maya Angelou, the great African-American poet said something beautiful. I come as one but I stand as 10,000. And every time you choose 
to stand up for yourself, you stand up for the 9,999 like you. Having said that, choose in moments of identity questioning whether you should ignore it or fight it. And in most scenarios, you will feel that ignoring it was much better use of your time and energy. Beautiful. Ignore it or fight it. And that's a decision that we all have in our hands at any given point of time whenever our identity is questioned. Deepak, thank you so much. And before we wrap up this beautiful conversation, I think this is this is something, conversations like these are something that, you know, inspire me the most. Nothing gives me more fuel than, than conversations like these. And, and so to... To give people a tool to have these conversations more often, we also created a deck of cards that basically has a set of questions that can be used by you if you want to have spark similar such conversations with your friends, with your family. Uh, what I'm going to do is pick up one card at a time. I'm going to pick up three cards. All I would love for you to do is, is uh, as I pick it up, I'm going to read out the question uh, that's written in the card to you and I would love to have your response to sure. it. All right. So the first question that I'm getting is what is something that overwhelms you? Pure happiness of other people. If I see somebody truly genuinely happy, it, it overwhelms me to no extent. I think that that I, when I see someone true, because it's very rare to find everyone's chasing happiness. You see very few people feeling happy, you know? So when I see that, I, I know it's a rare sight that someone just got what they wanted. That's so true, actually. Yeah. That's so true. Everything that is, and, and, and you know, to see someone who's truly, truly happy. Absolutely. So true. I can truly picture, picture someone who's actually there. Okay. Uh, the second question I have for you is, what is the one conversation you will never forget? Wow. So many. I My God. <laughs> You're asking that to somebody who's literally had conversations for a living for last decade. Um, but I would say... I think I was in a car in Belgium last October with a collaborator friend of mine called Dr. Jeroen Lawyers. And he was looking at the work I do and collecting human wisdom and life lessons. And he said something so powerful that made so much sense to me. We had a conversation about wisdom and life lessons. And he said, we always either learn from past or we always learn to feel secure in the future. It's very rarely in life that you learn and acknowledge the learning in the present moment. And life lessons of common people, life lessons that we share through Project Fuel are a testimony of that, that you can learn in the present moment from people who are still breathing and alive and people who are still relevant and active. And I think that conversation was such a, such a beautiful you know, assimilation for me because I thought, that's so true. Knowledge is always considered to be a tool you will use one day to serve you. Mm -hmm. It's not something you use immediately. Like in school, they teach you this knowledge you're going to use someday. But what is knowledge that you just learned and you can literally apply it as soon as you get out of that conversation? And those are life lessons of people, you know, in, in varied scenarios. So, yeah. Beautiful. All right. And the final question for you, Deepak, is what is one thing that makes you smile your best smile? And I think I kind of know the answer, but... Uh, I want to know your me, answer. This is your friend. <laughs> this is a good time to test our friendship. If our answers are the same. Uh, 
I think it would be aloo paratha oh, if I know. Oh my god, uh, that, look at I am already blushing. <laughs> that is so true. Potato in any shape or form, but preferred uh, aloo parathas. Please, if you have that smile, please, I will sign off my property papers for you if they are really good. <laughs> Amazing. So on that note, with the biggest smile that I always have when I'm speaking to you and. Every conversation lights me up and it sparks me with joy. And I am so so grateful once again, Deepak, for for this conversation. And as always, I have learned a ton, and I can't wait for more people to to take back some of the nuggets that you shared about finding your identity, getting lost in the process, and and being okay with it, seeking validation, and knowing it's not wrong, and having the power to say, okay, I have the power within me to say, do I want to ignore? uh when someone's questioning my identity or do i want to basically listen to it and do something about it so thank you so much deepak for this chat and i can't wait to meet you in person again and continue some of the conversation we started right now i value your time and i'll speak to you soon thank you so much sid for having me on the show and it's so wonderful having this conversation i enjoyed thoroughly thank you deepak and i honestly didn't want this conversation to end Our wish for you is that you find strength in your own identity to own every aspect of it and to create space for it to evolve as you evolve. Now before you go Deepak and I would be so grateful if you could take a minute to contribute to the wonderful Fuel 1 million initiative. All you have to do is share your life lesson, simply something that life has taught you so far. You'd be surprised how that life lesson could fuel the life of someone else in some other part of the world. Go to projectfuel.in to submit your life lesson and also share it with your friends and family. And if you enjoy that little game of questions we played towards the end, we have an entire deck of cards with over 100 such questions for you. Play it with your friends, family or even colleagues over dinner table at your next game night or at your next team gathering. You can buy your own deck of cards on ourlifecircle.com forward slash game. That is ourlifecircle.com forward slash game, and add the code Let's Talk Today for a special discount. You can find that link in the description below.